0: If you don't know this, then you're behind the times. The
1: only metric that matters is convenience.
0: Rules
2: apply to you, suddenly you're an advertiser.
0: This week on Social Minds. From the very beginning, though, we made a conscious choice to never care about sales.
1: We were joined by Michael Lee, the creative director at Oatly, which, for those of you who don't know, is a vegan milk brand based in Sweden. Oatly has gained notoriety in recent years for its clever use of copy and out-of-home placements, coinciding with the plant-based revolution to great success.
2: Yes, being one of several creative directors for probably one of the most well-known oat drink brands in the world, Michael has worked on some truly fantastic campaigns from putting witty slogans on billboards to bringing a bit of cheer to people during the COVID-19 lockdown with their distraction services. We spoke about not bothering with a set of tone of voice values, backing up purpose with action and having creative license to do anything.
0: Nothing is off the table. What we always say is we aim to be consistently inconsistent.
1: All this and more coming up.
2: How did Oatly find its tone of voice and personality, and how can brands find theirs?
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like it's not like there was any kind of strategic document or or anything. I, I think a lot of it, a lot of it, just kind of comes from actually the the part of the world that we're from, uh, southern Sweden, and there's just kind of like this humility to southern Sweden, kind of baked into. Have you heard of uh, Jentala? No. It's like what's, what's that? No. It's like this, I think, throwback from the old Protestant days where it's a bunch of principles about, you know, not ever thinking too much of yourself. Essentially, it's just kind of laws to live by to be kind of humble and and not so so braggy about things. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in a lot of ways, there's that bit about us. Like, you know, we're just kind of like a boring oat drink and we're just kind of happy if anybody seems to notice us. Then I think that there is. I was in a workshop once. Someone asked this question, and and, and someone said, "Well, it, it's kind of like we're naively courageous or naively fearless about things. Like we go out and pick fights with like the dairy industry, and it's, it's that situation where if if we had known better, we probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> but but because we're kind of naive, we just go for it anyway. And and I think that that kind of sense just kind of continues. We have this kind of overall mission to basically create societal change and to kind of remove the obstacles against sustainability and move people further down like this plant-based route. And in many ways, it's it's an uphill battle, but we just kind of, we're just kind of naive about it. And it's like, if we really thought through it, we wouldn't have done it because it would cost too much money. It would be way too much work. But we just kind of do stuff.
1: I think it's interesting, Michael, that you say a lot of your, um, like the personality of Oatly comes down to the culture of Southern Sweden. But I think, you know, it's fair to say that the brand has spoken to people um, beyond those borders. Uh, I know you say you're just a boring oat drink, but I think a lot of people have noticed you. I think that's certainly true. Um, so I guess, why why do you think that is? Do you think that it is your, like the fearlessness of the brand and maybe the, the lack of rules that's sort of, I don't know, like maybe as a happy accident created a higher level of uh, like brand personality and creativity uh, that, you know, consumers from all over the world are responding to?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that in, in everything we do, we, tr- we just try to be more human. We try to be real. Uh, we, we try not to act like a company. And, and I think especially in this category, it's so easy just to kind of be preachy all the time and to always say green this, green that. And, you know, we certainly have, have our values. We certainly have a purpose that we kind of work towards. But at the same time, we, we like to make fools of ourselves as well. It's like, you know, we work hard every day. And then, you know, on the weekends, we go to karaoke and make idiots of ourselves And in that way, I think we're a bit more real in that sense. You know, at the end of the day, we just try to be a brand that that people want to hang out with. And I I think a part of what makes that work for us is that we do have a depth to our brand. We do have a depth to the company and and what we're doing. And there's a lot of action that lies beneath our our words. So people, I I think they kind of come to us And because they think we're kind of cool and and quirky, and we talk about sustainability in a different way. And then they look uh, a bit below the surface and see a lot of the the stuff we do. we have big farming projects in the US and across Europe where we're developing systems to help farmers transition from animal-based to to agricultural-based. We're uh, lobbying governments. We're trying to change the law in Germany over labeling climate footprints on foods. So, I, yeah, I think it's just this weird mix of a brand that is serious and unserious at the same time, which kind of has this appeal.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. One of those cases, I think, where it's, you know, do more than you say, which obviously right now, more than ever, people are really responding to. I know we've seen that uh, when it comes to serious topics like you know, like going vegan or climate change or COVID-19, people aren't responding to prescriptive content. And that is to say, like, preachiness, uh, uh, as you mentioned, and people are looking for that action, which I think they've probably found uh, with you guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that a, a lot of our voice is our action. I mean, actions speak louder than words. And in many ways, that is incredibly true. I mean, we did a campaign in the UK. You might have seen it. It was called Ditch Milk. Yeah. Which is a pretty aggressive statement to make against the dairy industry. (laughs) If you say something like that, then you have to back it up with some sort of action because it's like, okay, you say ditch milk. Okay, great. Well, what are the farmers going to do? And that's an issue. We tend to think 360 degrees around things. So, you know, although it's kind of a fun slogan to say in a provocative statement, it's not just to kind of provoke noise. So we also have to say okay well what are the farmers going to do that's what I spoke about earlier we started a project in Sweden where we work with a farmer to transition his farm from uh, primarily animal based to uh, a plant based it was a study done with uh, a university to create that blueprint to create that that map for how farmers can transition and, and be profitable
1: mm, that's it isn't it i think it's it's the how so you're not just telling people what to do, you're actually like enabling them to do it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Or at least trying to.
1: I'm yeah. keen to
2: know uh, what your opinion are is of other brands who have sort of recently gone through this uh, transformation to appear to be more purposeful than they have been in the past. And we always say off- authenticity um, but often there's times where it does just feel like, uh, I don't know, virtue signaling maybe. I wonder, you know, what, what your opinion is of other brands, you know, who tried to almost do an Oatly from, you know, a brand that is so purposeful and value driven.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I think for the most part, people can see through a lot of that stuff. So in a way, that that issue just kind of solves itself. I I, I think it's good that there is more kind of discussion if it's kind of reached the point where, where it's trendy. And and in some ways that is good because that, that increases the communication around these issues. We talk about like other, other plant-based brands that are coming to the fore. And of course there are competitors, but in, in the same way, they're also pushing a more sustainable agenda for the planet. So is that a bad thing? No. <laughs> that's that's a good thing. So it's 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 just kind of a weird balance that is out there. And what about the banks and, and
2: so for instance banks and I don't know, trainer brands and so on and so forth who who sort of are just like, yeah, you know, ignore the past, we're we're doing everything to kind of, you know, look to a sustainable feature, future, or not even, you know, just on matters of sustainability. The brands that almost tried to be your friend and tried to come across as over familiar. Uh,
0: despite not really backing that up with action, yeah. Again, I, I I think that people tend to see through that, so they can fool some people, but for the most part, if if they don't back it up with with solid action, it's just going to be kind of flash in the pan, not something that's enduring.
2: And from a yeah, from a, and from a question about the kind of uh, the mechanics of your tone of voice, I mean, how do you mm-hmm. uh, speak about um, you know serious sustainable issues in your is that still colloquial? uh, tone that still feels you know because it doesn't feel you get some brands that almost they'll put on their corporate social responsibility hat and then they'll put on their humorous hat but you know from a from a copywriter's point of view how do you blend those two worlds so so uh you know perfectly
0: yeah i mean uh, again i think it just comes down to just trying to connect to people on a human level and it's like the, the way you talk to someone sitting on a park bench is, is probably the best way to talk to somebody, anybody with any kind of issue or anything. And I think people are so used to this sustainability speak and science speak. And then when you get into that, your eyes start to glaze over and you completely lose interest so it's certainly something that we're cognizant of all times again going back to this kind of swedish humility we think everything we do is is in some ways super boring like our sustainability report i mean what could be more boring than that we always make fun of it as being the most most boring thing in the world i don't know if you saw we did this thing for when Corona hit, we, we all thought, well, this is no time to be selling anything. So we just did a bunch of weird, fun things to distract people. And one of them was reading the sustainability report as a bedtime story, because it's the perfect thing to put anybody to sleep. We always kind of take the piss out of everything we do, which, again, just feels more more real. And it just feels like something that isn't kind of run through a marketing filter you
1: know what I mean? Yeah, it's like I think that's why it's so hard for like a lot of brands to achieve that um that same tone, you know, if they want to. They're either getting it casual tone mixed up with humor or they just don't want to um, like, take the piss out of themselves, like you say, uh, and they still, like, holding on to taking themselves a bit seriously. I mean, I know, like, so speaking definitely for me and Theo, like, both copywriters, one of the things that's very intriguing about Oatly is the fact that your adverts are all very much copy-led. I'd argue that the tone and copy is really what brings it to life, um, and yet you don't really have... um A traditional set of tone of voice guidelines, um, like you say, to avoid that sort of marketing funnel. Um, But we have got a question for you here, um, which I think will be interesting to see. Um, So if you were to create a set of tone of voice guidelines for Oatly, what would you put in them?
0: Yeah, we've talked about this quite a bit. I mean, the the weird thing is that in in the six or seven years uh, since kind of the big rebrand where uh, Tony Peterson became CEO and he he brought in this dude named John Schoolcraft, who's, I I guess, the global creative director or whatnot. Like basically the only people that are writing for this, there are like three people that are doing all the copy, at least in the in the markets where where we do it in English. And our, our feeling has kind of always been, if we start trying to write a, a guideline, it just gets old and boring immediately. But at the same time, how do you scale the brand across 5 million countries? And that's an issue that, that we're absolutely struggling with.
1: You have to be consistent, don't you? You have to be able to communicate it uh, to staff. But I mean, is it a case of just hiring people who you think get it? um or, or extra training i don't know i mean i think theo correct me if i'm wrong but is it um innocent uh who like trains people really strictly who want to uh, like take a part in writing the copy
2: yeah i've heard about yeah. that process i've been to have maths tests and stuff i'm sure you'll be able to shine more, more light on that uh, michael but like you know it's almost like this hunger
0: games to see if you're right for the culture from what i've heard yeah i mean we we've, we've kind of discussed that as well it's like to try to create a farm system of copywriters because so much of our voice is our brand and copy and, and headlines are, are a huge part of our personality. And to be honest with you, we've been looking for English copywriters for like two years and, and kind of haven't found any. Well, what we typically do is is ask them to write, write an Instagram post. If there's any tone of voice guide, we probably point people towards our Instagram feed because I think that's the best way to kind of learn it's like our Library of Congress, all the posts that we've done. That's a huge issue and something that we're grappling with as we scale. I think part of what makes our brand interesting is that we take the effort to try to make every touch point interesting or have at least have the same level. So everything down from you know a long copy ad in, in The Guardian to social posts to, to wobblers, in stores and i've never written a wobbler in my life but i've now written like a thousand of them and we were thinking that maybe we would call our school the wobbler academy what what is a wobbler side michael i'm I'm just trying to think what the english (laughs) equivalent is (laughs) yeah it's this weird kind of uk us terminology a wobbler is you know when you're in a supermarket and you're walking by the shelves and there's a little plastic doodad that is like hanging off the shelf and and it usually says like Two for one, or seventy-five cents off, or or something like that. I am with you. A new way uh, to add to my dictionary.
1: I think that's so important, though, because you are right. You do have to have that sort of seamlessness and like language and copy. Your tone of voice is going to be present from social to those like uh, point of sale points, like uh, wobblers, which is a new word that we've all just learned. Um, I mean, I guess. Like, since, uh, like your experience of, like, Oatly and, um, like its presence on social, which is, is pretty impressive in itself, would you say that you think social media's put the spotlight more on brands and their tone of voice than it was, was maybe, like, true once? Just because there's so much of it, isn't there? Like, even if you're posting that a few times a day, like in the past it would be spend all this time crafting maybe uh, one really strong out of home ad and you knew where it was gonna run and that was gonna be your campaign for like a month or so. And and now I guess with social, you're having to keep churning out that content, but you have to keep it fresh and um and you know, and it's it's there for everyone to see.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I think absolutely for us, like with, with Instagram, when we started doing these these long-winded posts. Everybody was telling us nobody's gonna read it. It's way too long. You know, anything beyond a, a sentence or two, forget it. Instagram is a visual medium, uh, blah, 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 blah. But we we actually saw it as a writer's medium. Our perspective has always been, if it's interesting, people will read it. And and hopefully it's been interesting. <laughs> but No,
1: I definitely agree. I think we we heard that a lot about social in the early days. And you know what? Short captions can do very well, but long captions can do very, very well. Uh, we're seeing now that dwell time is an increasingly important metric, which basically means the more time people spend looking at your post, uh, the the better you'll perform. Uh, so it's better to keep them there and keep them reading.
0: So, so in that sense, yeah, I I, w- I would agree with that. I would say that social media has put a put a spotlight on on tone of voice, or at least forced brands to be more rigorous about their approach to it.
2: I mean, what what I'm trying to drill down to, into here as well, Michael, is how you've been able to sort of uh, you know take conversation take you know the pub chat the park bench chat and really brand it in a way that feels you know very openly is that through you know things like sentence length is it to do with punctuation because essentially if what you're saying tr- is true it is just conversation it's how we colloquially how we colloquially speak um yeah but at the same time it still feels very openly it doesn't feel like anybody else it doesn't feel like first direct or or,
0: or, or another brand
1: yeah or innocent or burger king who are both very conversational as well
0: yeah, there is certainly a style. And the way John writes is slightly different than the way I write, which is slightly different from the way uh, Suzanne, who's an English copywriter who lives in the States, writes. But it, it all kind of feels, it feels Oatly. We're kind of a fan of, of long-winded sentences. The words that I just try, try to conjure when I write, we see ourselves as Oat punks. It's got to be dorky. A lot of our sentences are just kind of confusing and long-winded. Everything we say could probably be said shorter but it just gets kind of more funny and confusing when we use long sentences. I don't know. It's really really hard to describe. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it, but it works. I mean, that in itself is very intriguing to me because it is sort of goes against everything you learn in copywriting 101. Um, but I guess it's uh, one of Theo's favorite phrases is learn the rules before you can break them. Uh, and I think it is a case of that really because you obviously, um, like you said, you know that something say could be shorter, but you think it's adding to that humor and adding to that dorkiness if you make it. Because if someone was like a bit dorky in real life, maybe they'd ramble on a bit or they'd trip over their words and it's, it's really giving it a personality, I think.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like everybody has that filter in their head where. It's just kind of a bunch of random, loosely connected thoughts in your head. And then it goes through your brain and comes out as coherent sentences. But it's like if we try to preserve some of that looseness. It's kind of like when you read the copy, you can just kind of see the wheels turning. It's like, I don't know, writing through our, our own thought process. I don't know. I, I always just envision like a, a really, really whip smart gas station attendant out in Wyoming. (laughs) (laughs) That literally is the persona for me. You know, you're out in the middle of nowhere in the country in Wyoming. You come across this gas station and there's some dude there and he's just some whip smart genius. That mix of kind of country bucolicness with this whip smart kind of uh, punk ass attitude is kind of what Oatly aspires
1: to be yeah no I love that I think like like picturing a a full-on person giving them a little backstory in a setting can help so much um and it's key you know to to giving a brand a personality um like you guys have done so well I guess uh but we're, we're interested to know um if sort of from uh your viewpoint and knowing how well that works for Oatly or maybe how naturally it comes to you can you think of any brands whose personalities perhaps are at odds with their brand or at odds with their, um, their brand values? So maybe cases where the tone doesn't really, uh, match up to what you think their personality should be.
0: I think I'm going to throw that back at you guys. It's your question. So you, you must have an example. <laughs> it's put me on the spot
2: there. Uh, the thing with me, I think it's, it's, uh, it's seeing brands that and i I generally can't name any off the top of my head that do this but i'm sure i see them every day it's the it's the brands that have had that kind of sudden change of personality i Mm. think or sudden change of values because it's kind of flavor of the month or because something's become popular you know so i can imagine a brand saying we want to be only and you know a copywriter sort of scratching their head and being like well okay it's conversational but it's this but it's that but you know, obviously nobody does Oatly better than Oatly. I can't think of an example to my head, honestly, but but, but I feel like I read copy every day that feels, I, I hate the word, but inauthentic. It, it doesn't feel like it rings true with, you know, it's, it's like everybody says um, a bank, for instance. I, I don't. Want, I want my
0: bank to be serious. I don't want my bank to, you know, have a laugh with me.
1: I think all banks sound the same, I swear to God.
0: Yeah, I think that I, I totally get what you're saying. There are a lot of brands out there that are just trying too hard to be quirky and weird and flippant when i see it i just start to cringe and and i think maybe maybe other people as well but i also think like with banks and insurance companies there's just this mask that a lot of brands put on because when we all go to work we put on a mask to go to work and we're we're different when we come home we take that mask off and and we're like We're fun and whatever. But in in work, for some reason, we have to be professional and and say things like parameter and paradigm shift. We never say those things at home. And it's the same way with brands. There's tons of brands out there that are just kind of conventionally following the rules of marketing because that's what they've been schooled in. Actually, one of the first things that we do when we hire new people is we have this presentation and the first slide, it basically says unlearn everything you know. And that's true. We just hired a a person. I might get in trouble here if I get into too many details. But we try to kick the marketing school out of people when they come because it's that mentality we're just trying to completely shed. And it's pervasive. That's why all banks sound the same.
2: And is it because it's (laughs) not, it's not, say... It's not new anymore, would you say, Michael? It's like a code that's been around for 50, 60, 100 years.
1: Hmm. I was like, when everyone's following the same rules, they're obviously going to make the same mistakes and sound the same. And that's that's when you lose that originality, which is so key, in my opinion. But I don't know, Ma- Michael, what do you think?
0: No, I I, I totally agree. It's like we, we pay no attention to, to data, to brand awareness, to any KPIs or, or USPs, to, or to, to data, for that matter. That can feel like a very unpopular opinion, but it's like everybody has the same data and if everybody has the same data, everybody is is coming to the same conclusions about things. Whereas I, I think at Oatly, we kind of have a pretty uh, steadfast understanding of who we are and we don't pay too much attention about what consumers think we should be. <laughs> and I think because of that, the the brand feels different it feels uh, a bit more fresh than something that has been through some marketing machinery.
2: With, with yeah. That, no, with it that really, in mind, it really does. With that in mind then, Michael, do you, do you think that brands have over the years, especially with social media, do you think their position has been somewhat weakened by, you know, constantly pander
0: what feels like pandering to their audience now? In some ways. Yeah, I do. I don't know about weakened, but it, it certainly leads them down a different path. And,
1: bit of a hamster wheel situation at times i think.
0: Right. And and we don't it's like you you may have you may have seen some of you know we'll spend 50,000 euros on a on a big outdoor board and we'll just write, you know, you actually read this total success. And something like that would never ever get through a marketing director. <laughs> it's like where where's the USP? What are you saying? We're spending 70,000 euros on what exactly? And that's and countless decisions that we make would never be approved by a marketing director. The setup that we have, I think, is is a bit unique where we basically run our own show and we do our own strategy, if, if you can call it strategy. We, we write our own briefs. We do our own work. We approve our own work and execute it. And the only person that can veto anything is Tony, the CEO. And he just happens to be a guy that completely understands the power of giving that freedom to creatives that hopefully know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, and it's a very rare find in itself, to be honest. I mean, do you think that that gives you perspective um, to sort of zoom out and see the impact of what you're doing a bit better? Because I think, um, in my opinion, one of the shortfalls of, like you said, putting everything through like a marketing director or equivalent is that every sort of uh, activation every ad every post even is taken one at a time um sort of when they're rationalized like individually like that uh you can't really like zoom out and 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 look at the big picture of what you're doing but like you say if you're spending what 70k on an out of home ad that says i can't believe you read this if you were to analyze that on its own maybe it would get rejected, as you said, but when you zoom out, you know, you've got loads of stuff going out like that. And together, it's it's really building a brand.
0: Exactly. Uh, and I also think that it's like Spider-Man, you know, what is that quote? With with great power comes great responsibility. As a creative, we all came from the agency side where we're, we're struggling with clients and, and trying to get work through and always, you know, leaving meetings and complaining about how oh, they just don't get it, blah, 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 blah.
1: So this was maybe an intentional move to carve out like a different uh, way of doing things.
0: Yeah. When we have the the complete freedom to do everything, the, the, the responsibility lies with us as well. <laughs> so we think very, very carefully about every move move that we make. But yeah, I'm completely um,
2: interested as well in this. Well, exactly this idea. It almost sounds like the kind of the, the perfect medium because one of the things that we hear is that I think as time's gone on as well, uh, you know, um, brands looking for more of a return, especially from social media as, as well. Maybe there's a lot more involvement. It's not like we've seen in uh, past decades where you know you hear these stories of agencies firing clients because they don't agree with them. So it's definitely um, <laughs> a breakaway from everything. I know you've got a talk up. Is, is it how to how to fire your marketing agency or something
1: controversial around these
0: parts? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I... At CAN last year. Yeah. It was like how to, yeah, how to get rid of your marketing department. I think it is, it, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about. When you have a marketing department and, a, and an agency or even an in-house kind of agency, you know, how does it work? The sales director writes, these are the sales objectives we have. And then that gets turned into some sort of brief through the marketing director. Everything just kind of gets filtered through countless meetings anything that's presented has to go through like three or four different levels where inevitably things kind of get watered down. If you remove all of that, then you're left with something much, much, much more different, much, much more daring, much more kind of fresh. And you tend to kind of get into this situation where you're just doing work that you think you can get through the system. And if that's your objective, then the work that you get out is, is going to feel like that as opposed to, this is the work that we think that people should be reading or, or experiencing. It's a massive, massive difference. And I know that there are a lot of companies that are kind of doing this where you give that power to creative forces that, that are able to create things. That you know, the sales guy or the, the commercial director would never be able to.
1: No, oh, definitely. I mean, Michael, coming from an agency background then, did it did it take some getting used to it or does it take a while for you to learn to create um to trust your creative instinct and that sort of gut feeling um and, and knowing what will work?
0: It took a very long time. For about seven or eight years prior to joining Oatly, I was basically kind of a brand consultant kind of guy that would just kind of work in constellations of two or three people developing campaigns and, and, and whatnot for, for different clients. I was used to being able to kind of deliver value pretty quickly and immediately. You have to as a consultant. And then when I came to Oatly, I thought, ah, oh, it's, you know, I'll pick it up in, <laughs> in a matter of weeks it was not the case it takes a long time to one kind of understand the brand and understand the company the other aspect is that because the creative directors are kind of put i mean not at the center but are are involved in in basically all aspects of the company we basically work with with tony the the ceo and we're we're involved in In many aspects from innovation, product development, sustainability, PR, obviously. And I think what you realize coming from the agency side where you're basically given a small piece of of the palette to work with, suddenly there, there are so many different dials and levers that you can press what kind of products should we do? What about if we if we do an effort with, what if we start a, a fund for farmers to to make loans so they can transition from dairy? And these are kind of all the ideas that are always just kind of being tossed around. And it's like you have so much more to play with and it's a bit overwhelming.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I guess like, because you're so close to the info on, on agency side, I think everyone agrees it, it, it relies on uh, receiving a detailed brief, which which isn't always the case.
0: Yeah, like even we decided a year, a half, two years ago, to put the climate footprint on all our products because we thought it was the right thing to do. And then we went and talked with the uh, sustainability team and the supply team and the packaging team and realised how incredibly complicated something like that is, uh, given supply chains, given... If you change, if you change you know, the oat supply from this farm to that farm where there's a 500 kilometer difference in travel, that is going to affect that number that goes on the packaging. And the packaging is done in, in six month supply rolls. So how do you manage that? But we basically pushed that through the, the organization. I mean, not just pushed because, you know, everyone else kind of felt that it was an important thing to do as well. But something like that, you, you probably wouldn't have had been able to do if you sat on the agency side of things
1: yeah well it's certainly like a different dynamic isn't it you're sort of reverse engineering your creative messaging because you're not just amplifying what's going on you're actually influencing what's going on based on what you want to amplify
0: absolutely it's like what we talked about before our our actions is our voice like in Germany we took that a step further by petitioning the Bundestag so we submitted a petition to the Bundestag. We we hired a lawyer. And these are all marketing people. I mean, what do we know about, you know, German laws? But again, it goes back to that naive fearlessness. It's like, if you ask me now, would I do that again? Probably not, because it was hours and hours and hours of my life that I'm not ever going to come back. But it's like, we think it's the right thing to do and we do it. And then we were successful with the petition. Part of that was kind of funny because I wanted to put a, a massive outdoor campaign around the time of the petition and, and the petition depended upon the Bundestag approving it and they wouldn't tell us when it would be approved. Now on the other side, I have a 1.2 million euro campaign that I have to say yes or no to, you know, depending on the timing. So we just kind of rolled the dice and we just got lucky that the campaign kind of coincided when we got an approval. I love that. Um,
2: on the matter of
0: rolling the dice,
2: Michael, I just want to ask you something within within that because, you know, speak, speaking to you and, and knowing, uh, you know, what I know about uh, Oatly, you know, very value-driven, obviously, as we've discussed, how much thought is given to, you know, the bottom line? Because it, it, speaking to you, you get the sense that it's sort of, you know, generally the feeling is that it's coincidental if people like us and, and you know, um, we we become quite successful, but you naturally are. So is it just that yeah. you you're right so many times? Do you
0: think, or well, we've just kind of come across at the at the right time in history in terms of being a plant based food brand, where a lot of the world is kind of becoming much more aware of these things, and the plant based growth is is surging. I, I think it's like a, a three trillion dollar industry and kind of the biggest investment frontier since basically the internet. In 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 some ways. You know, w- we could do do anything, and our and our sales would would still well. <laughs>
1: try it out and say not. that. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, <laughs> sales are doing sales are doing super well. I mean, the, the growth has been phenomenal. It's like the the growth is is dot com numbers. It's not fast moving consumer goods numbers. It's it's ridiculous. We can't make the stuff fast enough. We can't build factories fast enough. And from the very beginning, though, we made a conscious choice to never care about sales, because, again, that leads you down uh, a track. And so far, it's, it hasn't been an issue. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen in five years <laughs> or 10 years? I mean, do yeah, no, absolutely. Actually- doing research actually saw before that, you
2: know, sales have doubled in the past two years. I think this was in relation to, uh, the electric, uh, trucks that you guys have, uh, you know, teamed up to, uh, deliver oatly and stuff. And, you know, your yeah. success has obviously come, at, you know, at a, a time of great change. Um, it makes sense obviously to speak to you, you know, with everything going on in the world following COVID-19 as well. Um, you know, the massive conversation happening around um, Black Lives Matter at the moment and the fact that it's led to, we've we've gotten to a point in 2020, I think we saw the seeds of the stone a few years ago, where it feels like as a brand, you cannot not take a stand. You cannot not have an opinion on these matters that brands might have traditionally shied away from before. Um, yeah. not, not just for Oatly, but how do you think this now changes uh, the role of brands, the way they are, the, the, the stances that they take uh, going forward.
0: I think it just kind of reinforces this, this sense that, that, you know, for, for a long time, I think companies and brands and businesses have, have kind of had to reinvent their relationship with society. Because, I mean, you look at Apple, I mean, Apple has the turnover of what, like the 50th biggest country in the world? You cannot deny the influence that brands and and companies have. And I think more and more, this trend towards transparency, this trend towards accountability, and in our case, sustainability, these are things that just point to uh, a responsibility that we have to society. And in many ways, I think that companies and businesses have kind of hid behind the fact of... What's the point of a business? The point of a business is, is to turn a profit, is to increase shares for shareholders. And in many ways, I think those, that feeling is a bit, it's a bit antiquated. It's not enough. I mean, companies and brands are, are part of society, just as individuals are. We have platforms to affect change. So I don't think it, it is enough to stand by uh, the, the sidelines and just watch the world go by
1: I think obviously like Oatly being such an action first, campaign later type of brand. I think that definitely sets quite, um, like the standard of what people expect now. And you know, you can, you can see that people are responding to it. I know you say that a lot of your success may be down to the boom in plant based foods, but you speak to people. Um, about what kind of plant-based products they're using. And aside from, you know, quality of the product itself, maybe like the taste, Oatly is a real favourite. And people talk about it like um, they love it. And and personally, I think that does come down to like the language you use um, and how much you're able to understand people at the end of the day, which a lot of brands in my eyes just completely fail to do still. Um, What I am interested to know um, is obviously... Uh, us being a social first agency, we can't, you know, we're the first to hold our hands up and say that, um, tech and video has taken such a front seat while copy has traditionally taken a bit of a back seat. Um, I mean, do you think that copy has become undervalued? I mean, what? I mean, have you considered, uh, say, a video led strategy? Because I think a lot of your campaigns are fair to say will be pretty traditional in the eyes of some, but still really resonate with a modern audience. So I guess, have you ever considered taking uh, the tech first route or is that just not very Oatly?
0: No, nothing is off the table. I mean, what we always say is we aim to be consistently and consistent. So, you know, one, one year we might do you know massive outdoor campaigns uh that are all copy driven the next we we might do performance art i don't know it's like there's nothing within the discussions that we have that says that we have to remain uh, a copy copy driven out of home brand i think th- there's going to be copy in, in everything that you kind of do that's always going to be important but I don't know. The whole thing with the out-of-home, I, I think I think it works because it is so old school. It's like bell-bottoms. They, they become popular every 20 years. So, you know, in two decades, we can run these campaigns again.
2: On <laughs> a sort of a final note, uh, Michael, just wondering, for, for the brands who, you know, look at Oatly as sort of a, you know, a great beacon of success. And, you know, uh, I, I, I imagine they're more larger corporations, you know, a bit monolithic, who would like to, you know, develop that kind of, Agile thinking, as you do. What, what sort of uh, interesting to know? What kind of not so much values, but what what the advice is to uh, those corporations? Because you know, especially on social media, where it's such a reactive platform. But you know, naturally there is bureaucracy in place at some
0: companies that you can't just get rid of overnight. What would you say to them? I think you you need a Steve Jobs or you need a Tony Peterson. You need someone at the very, very, very top setting the agenda. If you don't have that, forget it. It's all just going to be hollow.
2: Couldn't agree more. You obviously need that uh, one very important person within a company, you know, steering and championing creativity in that way. Um, We'll wrap it up there. Thanks very much for joining us, Michael. So interesting to hear your thoughts on you know crafting the tone of voice and actually maybe not needing one so uh thanks very much
0: yeah no problem yeah uh, it's a good conversation
2: thank you for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode
1: if you did please remember to leave us a review on itunes because it really really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week
2: this has been the social minds podcast with myself theo watts eve young and produced by ollie thompson